0: hand
1: is also over your hand
0: now. Your hand is on
1: your chest. My hand is on the top of that hand. Can you feel it? Yes. Okay. That is how it works. Of course I'm more uh, in
0: more verbally with it than if this was a real session. But I wanted to give you a taste of what I do. It's
1: so comforting. It's beautiful. And obviously, you're receptive.
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a little teary eyed, Paula. <laughs> what? Getting a little teary eyed. <laughs> it works on your emotions. Yeah
1: works on the physical,
2: emotional, mental, and spiritual. You
3: are listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being here with us. This week's episode of the podcast is very special. We're celebrating the life of composer, healer and synthesist, Pauline Anna Strom.
2: I really have never been more inspired by a musician. She was like really feeling in a really extraordinarily high level, the sound she was making and the way she was putting them together.
4: A single encounter, even by phone, with Paula could be life-changing. She just really had that effect, not this overpowering effect, but just kind of a welcoming, inclusive world that you would walk into and really not want to leave even after a single phone call.
5: Pauline's music, it sort of is like beyond time, it's beyond space. It's just sort of like a place of escape where, where, where time, I guess, just stops.
3: Pauline was born in the US in 1946. She was born without sight. As an adult, she settled in San Francisco's Bay Area, where she was introduced to synthesizers and fell in love with electronic music. Pauline's seminal releases as the Transmillennia Consort first emerged in the 80s. Her distinctively ethereal, otherworldly qualities have resonated with subsequent generations especially since the label Revenge International issued an anthology of her work called Transmillennia Music in 2017. And it was partly Pauline's friendship with label founder Matt Worth that reignited her desire to share her music. I was due to interview Pauline for this podcast ahead of the release of Angel Tears in Sunlight, her first album in over 30 years but news of Pauline's passing broke in December of 2020. Over the past few months, I've been learning about the life and work of Pauline Anastrom. I've been collecting stories from those who worked with Pauline, her label family at Revenge International, musicians who cite her as a massive inspiration and people who have experienced her healing sessions to build a picture of her practice and her legacy.
4: It, it really resonated at a totally different frequency for me.
3: That's the voice of Matt Worth, describing the first time he heard Pauline's music.
4: Uh, my name is Matt Worth and uh, our label is called Revenge International, RVNG.
3: Matt discovered Pauline's music on a site called Waxidermy, and there was someone in the comments who knew Pauline. Matt managed to get on the phone with Pauline to pitch her the idea of releasing some music. But initially, Pauline wasn't so keen.
4: She was, uh, I wouldn't say disinterested, um, but I would say she was indifferent. She believed that there was a interest in her music, but didn't really, I I don't know, it it, it didn't seem like the the right time um, for her and uh, therefore we we ended that that was kind of the the beginning of a long um, trust building process uh, which all happened by phone over many, many years.
3: And so once you had kind of established that trust, um, could you describe what it was like to work with Paula?
4: I, I think by getting to know paula in 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 the way that i did which was really just spending time with her you know and 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 learning about her 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 processes and her personality um it it informed what she envisioned for for the for the compilation first and foremost and then kind of like how we presented it so she she was very involved
3: and what can you tell us of her kind of processes and her approaches and her
4: systems i guess i'd kind of assumed too much of, of Paula's process or I guess in the, in the process of while getting to know her, maybe I confused the processes and, you know, kind of didn't almost assumed that like there was an improvisational element to her, um, her recordings and, uh, there, there wasn't, you know, she was, she was composing this music, um, not, um, on paper, but, in her head, um, which, uh, she would, you know, create these visual scores, um, uh, as she kind of described them, uh, and sometimes practice them, sometimes just learn them. Um, and then when she felt the, the, the time was right to, uh, to, ca- to capture this, this, this score, she would record it. Um, what was interesting about her process, and what she's commented on in other interviews, is that once that um, that's, that that composition was captured, she didn't remember it. She always said that she would never be able to recall uh, a composition exactly. So, of, of course, every individual like has their own <laughs> their own mechanisms of of uh creativity and that really always uh was was so poignant to me and and so interesting um about her uh about her approach and her her ability to to uh perform
3: i guess you kind of were the person that broke the news of paula's passing to her listeners and her followers which must have been quite tough
4: yeah um i i checked in with Paula's sister, who was um, not someone that I knew even before um, that day, and made sure that it was something that could be transmitted, and she felt the time was then, um, if if ever, and uh, that I could be the, the conduit of that
3: you had been working closely with her on this new release. So would you tell us about this record?
4: Yeah, so this record came about quite a number of years ago when we were putting together the collection of Paula's music, um, Transmillennia music, that came out in 2017. Um, One of the conditions, or maybe not even a condition, but just one of the wishes that Paula had around that collection was to um, not allow that to be her her canon. She wanted to continue making music. Sure, she wanted to really um, start making music again. We were gifted the opportunity to start working with Paula, not only on her archival music, but new music. And uh, that was kind of the inception point of finding new instruments for Paula to compose on and... Uh, new equipment for her to record with, and uh, a limitless field for her to to play and make a new album and make new music.
3: Would you be able to tell us a bit about um, her kind of lifestyle and maybe about her lizards?
4: Yes. Uh, well, she did cohabitate with two lizards, uh, Little Solstice, um, a giant, beautiful dinosaur, as as Paula referred to Little Solstice, and Miss Huff, a, a kind of smaller blue-tongued um, iguana. Um, uh, they all three lived in a studio apartment in the tenderloin district of san francisco um and uh the same the same apartment that that, that paula lived in uh when she was making uh the her, her music in the 80s and really when she touched down in in san francisco in the 60s um so she'd been there forever
3: I really was very much looking forward to having the chance to speak with her for the podcast so I, I thought it would just be like such a oh really quite a rare opportunity to actually speak to her it's such a shame
4: yeah it's it is i you know i, I from the people that i know that have, have have talked spoken with her in the past a single encounter even by phone with Paula could be life changing um, she just really had that that effect, um, and I, you know, it, it, not not this uh, this this overpowering effect, but just kind of a welcoming, inclusive um, world that you would walk into and really not want to leave, even after a single phone call. <laughs>
3: Just one example of someone who had a life-changing encounter with Pauline over the phone is the designer
0: Carissa Senovitis. Matt asked me to interview Paula and it was like maybe the second interview I had done for Revenge and the first time it did not go so well. It was, she was very guarded and kind of just shut down all my questions. And I said, you know, like, can we try this again? And she wanted to too. And then it just, I earned her trust and we started imagining things together. And then and then it just became this like friendship on the phone. <laughs> Maybe I idealized everything about Paula because <laughs> it just seemed like it came from another plane. And um, yeah, it was almost hard to believe that um, a person living in San Francisco fiercely independent was actually producing this. So like, I think she created her own dream world and and I totally believed it. I totally fell for that dream world. Working with Paula, um, she almost prefers to to know people through sound. So I feel like speaking over the phone was the most uh, true way to experience her as a friend. And even though we lived on opposite coasts, we held hands. I could feel her hand in mine at times. And she would, uh, she would introduce different visualizations and ideas. And um, once she got to know some of, the artists I was working with, we opened up our conversations to a larger group and she would guide us through visualization exercises and movement exercises. We would do like cloud hands or we did a event at Command the record shop where Paula called in and um, spoke a bit about um, ableism and issues she faced in her own life and then we also, felt the energy in the room. We, we cast a blue and green light in the room. Like She and I discussed like how we wanted the space to feel and what we wanted it to look like. So we were always bringing in all these different senses to the space and she had such a vivid imagination. She was always describing these environments that she wanted to evoke with her sound and then for us to experience in the space.
1: we all have access to this. Mm. We all have access to it. Whether you call it Reiki or you call it Qigong or you call whatever, it's all the same thing. All the same thing. You're accessing it. It's there for you to take. Mm-hmm. It never will go away. It's that life force that's out there.
3: That was a recording Carissa shared with us of one of her remote healing sessions with Pauline. Here's Carissa recounting her first experience of Pauline guiding her through a visualization
0: exercise. We'd always set the stage by, like, um, talking about where we were, what the weather was like, you know, so we would feel connected in that way. She'd be out on her balcony with her coffee and little solstice, and I would I was sitting on my bed in the dark um, right by the beach and you could hear the seagulls. And she she started talking about um, how I should sit and the colors I should be thinking about. And um, there was these movements that started from the crown chakra moving downwards and I felt like that was the moment where I received Paula in this way, that sealed us, you know, made us connected. And, um, and and she was with me. And I think she'll always be with me. And then she said that she was going to send me messages the rest of the week. And I definitely received that. I was laying on the ground and I was looking up through a tree in my bedroom and all of a sudden, I was flooded with these images. And they were purple and green and blue. And there were lizards. And I said, like, oh my goodness, Paula's here. So I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for my next vision from Paula.
3: I spoke to Aubrey Trinnaman, a trusted photographer who worked closely with Pauline.
6: I think my intro to Paula's music was um, by way of a good friend of mine, Caitlin Aurelia Smith. Um, And I think my first impressions were um, that the music felt patiently momentous and wise and curious at the same time. And um, yeah, just a, a lot of patient, expansive timelessness.
3: I asked Aubrey about what the process of working with Pauline was like. Aubrey told me about their pre-shoot phone call.
6: Uh, She had a lot of questions and also just a lot to share about her experience. And I think things unfolded as she felt safe around me, or maybe felt my genuine curiosity bouncing back her way as well i feel like there was a lot of pre-existing trust going into that phone call just because we had met by way of matt who she knew really well and had such a unique relationship with i kind of picture us now as these two creatures in our dark caves kind of peeking out at one another and then scurrying out to show each other something shiny that we really like from from inside and then scurrying back in and watching and listening and coming back out and building these sort of Bowerbird displays for one another. Um, It's really, it was really sweet and really delightful. I also remember being very eager to meet her dinosaurs, um, Little Solstice and Miss Huff and having so many questions about those, those dinosaurs and what they actually are and what they look like, but also she kind of wanted to guard that and, and save it until we could meet in person. Um, but we talked a lot about animals in that conversation, which felt really good to me. On the second photo shoot that we did so this
3: is the shoot to accompany the release of Angel Tears in Sunlight.
6: We went to a sky space in, in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And it's one of James Turrell's sky spaces. I sort of described it to Paula. And I really loved the correlation between their mediums and crafts. That sky space is such a meditative space and as soon as we got in there you know we both felt it and acoustically it's really unique and paula is definitely attuned to that on so many sensory levels she's like got such acute senses so it was really cool to be in there with her and we took some some photographs of her standing in the middle and sort of incantating up into the sky space and and then in the in the tunnel as well and i don't remember exactly where we went or what instruction we were giving each other but it felt like she was singing into that space and that is one of my favorite moments from that day and she giggled a lot she was very sarcastic and dry and funny and such a willing and mutually vulnerable participant in in these photo shoots, and I was just so grateful for that attitude. I think often about these images from the the last bit of that shoot, and Paula was standing in front of these... um, pedestals where a statue would go these little enclaves and they're empty so there was there's was nothing in them um it was just like a stone enclave with these two pillars on either side where you know normally you might have some sort of statue in there paula was standing on the ground in front of them and the wind was blowing and it was magic hour it was like really beautiful golden light and i just remember being so struck by that moment as it was happening but then afterwards looking at those images and just seeing this woman who hasn't had eyesight since birth standing in front of these um, empty uh, pedestals and there was something really symbolic and, uh, and appropriate and refreshing there for me just like all of the prescribed bullshit that um, women feel their whole lives um, in so many ways about body image and this or that and about their art and disciplines and um, imposed everything. (laughs) Um, And I, I just felt like she broke the mold in every way. And she did it her own way. And that is so beautiful to me.
7: Yeah, my name is John also Bennett. I'm a composer and musician. And I also do a lot of mixing and archival work with revenge. Uh, when it comes to assembling our uh, reissue series matt worth sent me a message oh paula sent us three hours of new music um and this was you know this is someone who hadn't made recorded music for 30 years so that was a pretty incredible moment for us we were kind of overwhelmed by this like she sent us 40 or 50 tracks that were just this sort of like uninterrupted stream of energy coming from her, my role was uh, to you know me and Matt listen to all this material very methodically, and I helped uh, turn some of these pieces into like tracks that could live on an album, because like some of them were like 20 minute long jams, which was incredible, but we, uh, we helped uh, contain her raw energy.
3: John was able to share some insight on what Pauline used to create some of the new material in her later music.
7: Uh, I believe it's a, it was a Korg Cross. Um, I, I think Matt might know the exact model, but it's, it's this like all in one digital audio workstation. Um, she was able to do some sequencing uh, and like preparing sounds beforehand. Um, and then uh, she was able to play it live, which is uh, what she always wanted to do. If you listen to her inter- interviews, she uh, talks about how her least favorite part of making music was just like multi-tracking um, and overdubbing. So this, this was gave her the ability to like really just do it all at once and, and play everything live. And that's something that I think it's important to think about when you're listening to the new record, it's essentially a live album. It's Pauline playing all this stuff together. And that's incredible. <laughs> like the technical, the pure technical achievement of this for someone like Paula with her disability to be able to like into it and control this machine with the level of dexterity uh, is pretty incredible. I've spent hours and hours and hours listening to her music, like deep in it, (laughs) from uh, both a fan perspective and as like a technical process of listening to all these mixes and when we did the archival collection like listening to all the different sources and QCing the materials Um, so I have a pretty intimate understanding of her musical vision, um, which went into editing the new material. Like I, I, I've told a few people that I, I feel like I kind of have a tiny hola inside my head that, like you know, is intuitively directing the decisions uh, <laughs> that I was making while uh, while making these edits. You know, we we spent uh, several months listening and listening and listening to this material for the new record and, and uh, putting it together fairly intuitively. Um, And we sent it to Paula and she was thrilled with the results. Like it was, it was a very incredible and kind of smooth process where it really lined up perfectly, you know, and she, and she gave us a lot of trust with that and, That was pretty special, I think.
3: So, what was it like to be deeply inspired by Pauline's work?
2: So, my name is Emily Sprague, and I'm a musician, a songwriter, as well as an ambient, environmental, experimental composer. I'm generally very interested in, in music and sound and the ways in which we experience those things emotionally.
3: I spoke to Emily Sprague about her first time encountering Pauline's music.
2: I remember I saw a photo and in the background of this photo was Transmillennia consort uh, vinyl jacket like way in the background and I just it wasn't about her music in any way it was like a photo of a studio and I saw this in the background and I was just really drawn to it and I could make out some of the words and I went home and I started researching online to try and find this album and um, just remember within a minute of listening to that record just being absolutely, you know, just blown away and touched by the way in which she, um, yeah, was just already creating... This world, um, within our world, and so that was a real big source of inspiration for me, just as a practice in my life and also as a musician to try and really think about our place in um, in reality. And just to hear those sounds, it was really this this perfect translation, in my opinion, of the reality stranger than fiction kind of yeah, just the the beauty of of this, this world and our senses and everything that's around us that we really take for granted. That was my first experience. And then it was um, yeah, really just a part of my listening life always, ever since, her music. Since I started hearing Pauline's work, the biggest thing that has influenced me and really stayed with me is the paying attention to the sounds um, inside me and the sounds around us and how they are connected. The use of the sound design and the field recordings and the foley of water and just life sounds, you know, it's all part of our reality. It's all part of our world. But when you're listening to it, you're getting this sense that it's something bigger than that. It's, it's, it's making you feel more connected to that conjunction of our sort of spirit and this material world that we live in. And I, I, I really have never been more inspired by a musician in that sense, that that way that she combined her sounds, you know from listening to it that she felt them. You know, she was she was like really feeling, I think in a, in a really extraordinarily high level sounds she was making and the way she was putting them together so that is definitely something that i've always tried to sort of keep in mind and practice when i'm composing myself and just exploring sounds and just walking through the world and trying to not forget to hear things i didn't personally know her sadly but i could feel her definitely
5: <laughs> My name is Ka Baird and I am a uh, musician, producer, performer based in New York City. I feel sort of like a kindred spirit to her in a sense that's not so much necessarily literally like even like how our music sounds, because like our music is pretty different. But in terms of like her approach, um, I didn't know Pauline personally at all. But um, I understand that she kind of considered herself like a bit of like a square peg or something like that didn't that didn't really fit into any like really clean category. People would try to label her as new age or and she was really like not into that. And her music isn't just new age. I mean, maybe that very first record tipped on that the most. But if you look at her whole trajectory, she was very experimental. And some of her later records like Spectre, she was very kind of do me and a little like witchy a little ritualistic so i guess in that sense i've always felt like i, I I've, I've never been able to really like cleanly fit myself personally into any sort of genre she looked at all of her keyboards as like one big entity one big like fancy machine and yes she definitely gave kudos to the prophet and the some of the other keyboards that she used but I also look at sort of my like tools as this as this one big system that then transports me somewhere else, but I mean, I think the main takeaway and uh, for Pauline's music was just the f- just this sort of spiritual dimension to her music and the fact that it it sort of is like beyond time it's beyond space it's almost beyond like clear recognition of a clear emotion or feeling. It's just sort of like a place of escape where where, where time I guess just stops. And that's all I ever want in terms of music and that's all that's ever saved me in terms of music, you know, is, is a place that I can go where everything stops. It's like a third space.
3: I was completely struck by the intrinsic ways Pauline's music has connected to those who heard it, even if they didn't know her personally. But Pauline wasn't always in a position to create. As Matt told us at the start of this programme, she took many years away from releasing music. And in 2019, Pauline fractured a part of her hip. Here's Carissa Sinovitis speaking about that period and the GoFundMe page Carissa and Matt organised where fans and listeners were moved to contribute to Pauline's rehabilitation
0: fund. Paula was really in a fragile state at that time, really concerned. And um, we were speaking daily and I would read these messages to her and she would get all teary. And sometimes she would recognise a name that she hadn't heard from that person in like decades, you know, And, and then she would just Want to know more about some of these new names and who are these folks? And and I I love to tell her their locations like all over the world. So she was just so encouraged, and that really uh, I think gave her the second um, wave of interest. Like she, after that is when she started rebuilding her music abilities. You know, like got more equipment and actually started pursuing music again. And I really feel like that was maybe a great a, a great sign to her, that there would be an audience, that, that there was a reception for her work. And I'd, I only see that now in
7: retrospect, but <laughs> of course. I just think it's incredible, her story here.
0: Here's John also
3: Bennett.
7: This so is somebody who was practically off the map for you know 20 years um and that we were able to get in touch with her after all this time and form a real connection a real exchange um and that that energy was going back and forth between us and paula and the rest of the world and that people were able to enjoy her music again. I mean, I think it's really special and, uh, it's when she passed, uh, we were all pretty devastated, you know, and it's still incredibly sad that she's not going to be around to like experience, um, the new record coming out, um, But it's also beautiful that we were able to do what we did um, and bring her music to so many people while, while she was still around. Um, So I, I think if if I have any like parting words or whatever, I would just say that, you know, don't, don't be afraid to reach out to people if somebody's music is special to you and, uh, you can reach out to people and communicate with with people. And uh, a lot of times they're receptive. And uh, this is a case where that really changed somebody's life. Um, And so I'm, I'm just glad that that happened, that's all.
3: Pauline Anastrom leaves this world with a vast and multifaceted legacy. I asked everyone I spoke to to share their thoughts on what that might include.
4: Uh, her legacy is.
3: Here's Matt Worth.
4: I, I guess it's kind of maybe how to look at like this this album, which was not intended to be her last. Angel Tears in Sunlight was the beginning of, 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 of Paula's next um, creative phase. Um, she was almost impatiently um, looking forward to having this out in the world, seeing people, seeing how people would respond to it, and then creating her musical response to that. So how that legacy will live on won't be under Paula's guidance. Angel Tears and Sunlight is one of a couple projects that we had underway that we really were, were presented a full vision from, from Paula and that tinges how, how we will pursue those projects and how we will present those projects. Um, there's more music, there's more to explore in, in what she documented.
6: Here's Aubrey Trinaman. It's safe to say that there are a lot of people affected by her music. And what her music embodies is so vast and probably varies person to person, but I think just parts of her spirit shine through and resonate with with different people and beings. And I think her curiosity and the questions she asks and her determination in exploring that curiosity, like a a diligent curiosity, opens up a lot of space for people to see inside of themselves and outside of themselves toward any other living being i think just on a vibrational level that inquisitiveness becomes a medium of exponential capacity for listening and communicating
4: i am so glad i had the time with paula that i did um because I feel her i I know that she's more here than she is there at this moment. i know that she's 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 here that's really what where paula existed um she she existed in a timeless space um and she existed with an interest in in healing and in in human connection her her legacy is is it's it's mysterious and it's strong
6: paula is so timeless, and I feel her energy really palpably, so, um, especially the week that she passed away, I could just feel her in the light, and I think she knew that all along, you know, she knew that she was universal and timeless, and I love that she chose to tap into this time and this version of herself that, that I got to know a little tiny bit. Um, in the way that she did, just jumping in headfirst and and being her quirky, creative, curious, headstrong, generous self.
5: His cop Ed. Her legacy is, is so is is so shrouded in like mystery. But I think just this idea of music being this entity or this portal even to help guide you through this life or these lives, the mysterious timing of her of her death, you know, just months before her next release, and her like stubbornness in terms of like wanting to be like pegged or labeled in any way.
7: She was someone who uh, really worked from a inner vision.
3: This is John Also Bennett.
7: A composer who is self-taught. Sorry, I'm... Um, <laughs> uh, like, Paula's, Paula's legacy for me is somebody that um, composed on her own terms and and worked worked intuitively all her life uh, and did things her way. For me as a musician, I can tell you that her influence has been not just sonically, I love the sound of her synthesizers and I love uh, the textures she's able to make and uh, the rhythms and her work with percussion and it's all incredible but it's also just her commitment to a inner vision and staying true to that. Not just in her music, but in the way she lived her life. That was really important to me to see somebody who really didn't compromise themselves uh, when it came to their musical practice.
5: You know, she was a pioneer. She was an electronic pioneer that's finally getting her due after a long time.
2: I think her legacy for me as a listener
5: and here's
3: Emily Sprague
2: and the ways in which she's loved now um, and I think will continue to be loved really just speaks to I think the ways in which people would like to feel opened up with music and I think as a composer Pauline for me just really really showed me the ways in which we can open ourselves up and experience the internal world and the exterior world as really one and the same and i think that's something that is going to continue for for musicians to explore and i think her her part in that practice and spiritually her part in that was really really very important it's amazing that you know she's getting this Continued support with Matt and the label and this music is still going to be shared because it's quite important, I believe.
3: Thank you to all our contributors for sharing their stories with us. I hope we've been able to paint a portrait in audio of Pauline Anastrong. I also wanted to mention that Little Solstice and Ms Huff, Pauline's beloved lizards or dinosaurs, have found a caring new home within extended family and are now enjoying ocean views and green hillsides on the Pacific coast. Thank you for listening to this episode of RA's Exchange. We'll have a new episode for you next week. Until then, our full archive is available for you to take in. And if you find something you love, please leave us a comment or a review as it helps get our stories to more ears.